So we are in Acts chapter 15. We've been on a journey from day one, right? We've been uh, the very beginning, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, and we went through the, through the scriptures. <clears throat> and we've done the same thing uh, for the book of John and the book of James. And we've, we are, uh, we're doing some expositional uh, studies in the word, basically taking God's word first, making it the priority and unpacking what God has for us. And today we've made it all the way for the past year plus that we've been in uh, the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 15. Now, Acts is this bridge between the Gospels and between the letters that would come from many of the apostles. So it's what happened after Jesus died and ascended into heaven. So then what? Acts is that then what that we need to know, right? Acts is the Literally, the acts, the actions of the apostles through the power of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus um, has commanded and God has empowered these apostles to do these amazing things, we're seeing what happened. These are historical accounts. And with these historical accounts, these things that happen, there's intention for us to take application in our lives, in our church, in our personal lives, in our work lives, in everything we do, and we see this today. And there's a lot today. Uh, there's been a lot for uh, this entire study, but each and every passage of Scripture that we have, it's so important for us to look at what that, what that says to us. And don't take it, and this is important, and it's important for me as well, and I get caught up in this, that we don't take it for informational purposes alone just for the sake of having knowledge and knowing what happened, right? But also to take it for personal application, that we see what God would have for us in this scripture. And, that's, and there's a lot. There's so much to it throughout all of, uh, all of Acts and throughout all of scripture. It's the living, breathing word of God. So when we read his word, it's important for us to take it as if God is speaking to us, that this is directly uh, one-to-one communication from God to you, to me. And so we see ourselves in this scripture. We see our life. We see our lifestyle. We see our personal choices in the past. And it, we let it modify and improve our choices, our decisions in the future. Because we as Christians, we are saved <clears throat> by grace. Okay? Remember this. God does not save us where we are to leave us where we are. We are not saved and then you're done, good luck, do your thing. But God saves us where we are for us to have a a life of sanctification, to grow closer to him and more set apart from the world. So as Christians, we can't find contentment with just being a Christian, and that's good enough. No, because we love God so much, then it's the then what? I want to be more obedient. I want to love God more and more by following God exactly what he would have for me. And when we do that, our love uh, for God uh, is exponential because we understand his grace more and more. We see how broken and how, how sinful we are and how big his grace is, his never-ending grace. So as we read this passage today, Um, I want us to see that, and I want to encourage you and challenge you to see that, that it's important that we have receptive hearts, that our hearts are at the place where, okay, God, I'm ready to be spoken to by you. Speak to me so that I can learn, understand, and love 
you more and find application in our lives. So I'm going to read the scripture. We're going to talk a little bit about it, and we're going to let God do the most of the talking. So we're starting in chapter 15, and uh, we'll, we'll start back in verse 1. And I'm going to read verse 1 through 5 and then 6 through 21. Last Sunday we went 1 through 5, but it's important for us to know what happened prior to today's passage. We're at Paul and Barnabas and their missionary journey, right? And they've went this big route through these different cities. They went through the island of Cyprus and they went up to Antioch of Pisidia and Lystra and Derbe and Iconium, right? They did this big hoop and then they went back and followed the same route. And their entire goal was to, to, do, uh, to be missionaries, to go and talk about Jesus in these places that didn't know a lot about Jesus and to plant the gospel, the truth, in these cities. They faced a lot of persecution along the way. They went back, and now they're back to the town, the church that God called them to go and be missionaries from. So now they're back at Antioch, the church in Antioch, and they came back to tell all the great things, to do this great debriefing, right? Here's what God has done. Not here's what we did. Look what we did, but look what God has done through us. How God has used us so much. And in doing that, as they're starting to preach to the church and tell them amazing things that God is saving Jews and Gentiles alike, these Jewish folk, the traditional people, the, uh, not, all, not all of them, but a, a small selection of these Jews are coming in back to the church and saying, yes, we love this Jesus, but there's additional things that you non-Jews have to do in order to qualify for salvation. There's these additional and what that you have to do. And the big and what they talked about was circumcision. This traditional, heavily steeped in tradition uh, that they had to do to prove of their Christianity. Well, the Gentiles uh, had to go through this earning salvation. And Paul and Barnabas have to step up and say, hold up. That's not what saved by grace and grace alone is. This is, you're putting additional things onto it. And this is the scene we're at right now. They're back at the church. There's a little bit of an argument. There's a debate. But it's very healthy. And it's very important to see how both sides, even though there's a major disagreement, the church doesn't get split and destroyed. But it's a healthy way to fight the good fight for God. There will be disagreements. There will be arguments in every group of people, whether it be two people in a room or whether it be a hundred people in one room at a time. You're going to have disagreements on perspective, disagreement on, uh, on preferences, different disagreement on things that you do in your life and maybe even beliefs that you have because of the experiences you have. We all are here today with a different background. We come in here today with different experiences and a different understanding of what a Christian should look like or what life should look like as a Christian. So we all come in here with these preconceived ideas, these preconceptions and oftentimes misconceptions of what being a Christian is, right? We all have those that we bring in here and now we're all together talking about this same thing. When we have different viewpoints talking about the same, the same thing, Obviously, always, there's going to be some type of disagreement. Some type of disagreement on how we think it should be. What the preferences should be. Whenever we know that it has to boil down to, and Paul and Barnabas and Peter and James that we're going to see, that it's Jesus 
plus nothing. Whatever your preference is and, and to each their own as they draw closer to God, okay, that's fine. But salvation is Jesus plus nothing. And we have to remember that. It's not something we do to earn it because it's been earned through his death. That's the argument. Let's look at what happens, okay? Chapter 15, verse 1. I'm going to read straight through it without stopping, okay? Here we go. Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem about the issue. When they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria and described in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, by the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. We get to our scripture today. The apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up. Peter comes back on the scene. Peter stood up and he said to them, Brothers and sisters, You are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel, the gospel message, and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did us. He made no distinction between us and them, Jews and Gentiles, no distinction between us and them, in cleansing their heart by faith. Now then, why are you testing God? Why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' neck that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way that they are. Well, the whole assembly became silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul describe all the things or all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they stopped speaking, James then responded. This is James, the brother of Jesus, okay? James, the half-brother of Jesus, he has all the clout. At this point, he is at the head of the church. So anything, James is the ultimate decider in the church, ultimately, okay? So James responded. He says this. Simeon, or he said this, brothers and sisters, listen to me. Simeon has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. And the words of the prophets agree with this as it is written. After these things, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again so the rest of humanity may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who were called by my name, declares the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, as James continues, in my judgment, in my decision, I make the ultimate decision, he's saying, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. But instead, we should write to them 
to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from eating anything that had been strangled, and from blood. For since ancient times, Moses has, seen, has had those who proclaim him in every city, and every Sabbath day is read aloud to the synagogues. Let's pray over this before we dive much more. Pray with me. Father, today we thank you for your word. May your word be, have clarification in our hearts, understanding. Father, may it sit in our hearts and may we see that you are in control, that you love each and every one of us, regardless of the background we bring, and that there is no preferences that trump your grace, for it is by grace alone. God, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, as we see this passage, I want to share with you this quick uh, story that, uh, um, that Winston Churchill told, and I really like it, and it, it tells us a lot about how we can be in the stance we have. Here's, here's what it is. He told of this British family um, that went on a picnic, okay? They went out on a picnic by a lake, and this family was there, and in the course of the afternoon... There was a five-year-old son playing out on the dock by the water, and the son fell into the water. Unfortunately, none of the, adult, the adults there could swim, but, and they were all panicked. They couldn't get in there because they couldn't get him out of the water. So a passerby comes, and they saw the situation. And even though it was a great risk to himself, he dove in fully clothed and managed, and managed to reach the child before he went under for a third time. He was able to pull him out of the water and present him safe and sound to his mother. And immediately as this man comes out of the water, brings him to his mom, his mom says this. Instead of her thanking the stranger for his heroic efforts, the mother snapped at him and said, Wait a minute, where's Johnny's cap? Where's his hat at? You forgot to grab his hat at the same time. Somehow, in all the commotion and all that, the boy's hat had fell off of his head in the water, and instead of rejoicing at the son's saving, deliverance, that she res or he rescued her son, the woman instead found something to be critical about. That's like, what? Why would she do such a thing? That's ridiculous. That must... No. I think we know what this story is trying to say. We forget the big picture of salvation. We forget the big picture of salvation, and we want to have these little pet peeves of these little things we pick out that matter nothing at all to salvation. But we still want to get aggravated and be critical about it. That mother, instead of rejoicing and embracing and being so uh, enamored and in love with this, the, the rescue of her child... She takes a step back and she was mad and angry because the hat was still left in the water and he didn't save the hat at the same time. And when I read this, I'm like, wow. That tells a lot about us, us humans. We, we forget the amazing rescue that Jesus Christ has done for each and every one of us. That we have been saved. We have been saved in the state that we were, where we faced imminent death. And we were promised Eternal separation from God. We knew that this was going to happen and we stood zero chance. But luckily there was a rescuer that came onto the scene. And that rescuer is Jesus Christ. 
when that rescuer came onto the scene, he dives in head first and he saves us. But when we get saved out of the, when we get saved out of our situation where we're surely dying, instead of us being so grateful, instead of us being so uh, consumed and amazed by the miracle of our rescue, we want to step back and we want to be critical of something that doesn't matter towards salvation at all. That is us. That is so many of us. That is so many of the church universal, not just Christians, but every one of us, but especially as Christians. Have we ever been that way? Have we ever been critical of something that doesn't, doesn't uh, count at all towards our salvation, but we get so frustrated? Preferences, things that we, we would rather have happen and we would rather do. And I think the answer is yes. I think the answer is yes. Every one of us face situations just like that where we put our own preferences in the way. Because Paul and Peter and James all come up and tell these men, these Jews that are standing and trying to, uh, they have this debate, saying, guys, you've got to be circumcised in order to be saved. You've got to follow these Jewish traditions. You've got to follow the expectations of the Jewish law. And throw some Jesus in there too. And Paul and Barnum says, no. Yeah, it makes you mad and you're offended by it because that's not everything you've ever known because you, your entire background and experience says that this should happen. I get it. And everything that you've ever um, uh, been exposed to in your life tells you that it should happen. But Jesus says, it is me plus nothing. That there isn't anything on top of it. There isn't anything else that we should have to do to embrace salvation. But we do that. Our traditions do that. Because a lot of times we want to say that we have a preference um, in things in church. That you should dress this way. That you should have music, this kind of music outside of church. Only listen to, or inside of church, this type of music as well. We have preferences that we throw in there that get in the way. We have personal preferences, personal things that we uh, experience in our life that we also like to throw in there that in order to be a Christian, you have to be this. You have to meet these qualifications. And it's like, well, yeah, I get it. But you know, it's just the right thing. Okay, that's your preference that it's the right thing to do. But what does scripture tell us? For us to throw anything in there other than scripture specifically says is totally against the gospel. And we've got to be careful of that. We've got to be careful of that. Yes, there are good practices. Yes, there are best practices for us. And we should do these things because ultimately we know that this lifestyle keeps us closer to God. But we cannot say that it is going to keep you from salvation if you don't dress and look and do these type of things. Okay? So it's important for us to remember that because Paul and Barnabas, as they are doing their, their, uh, their mission work, they have all of this these barriers in the way that keep God from the Gentiles. They keep God from ultimately the Jews because they're still thinking that they have to follow these laws. So, James understands this. We cannot go to any gathering of Christians, whether it be in a church or whether it be in an online gathering or whatever, where we have different opinions. 
Because I promise you, in situations, we're going to have opinions, and especially social media and things like that. Everybody likes to let their, everybody, it's, everything's hunky-dory, and we love each other until we have a disagreement. And then it's like, bam, and everything blows up, right? Especially we get brave behind the screens, and we type and say anything we want, even if it's offensive to other people, right? We do those things, and James says, no. Listen, here's what we've got to do. So James is ultimately the, the judge in this situation. He's the one that's deciding behind the Jewish council, Jerusalem council, as he gets in there and says, okay, here's what we've got to do, guys. He's talking to the Jews. He's talking to the Gentiles. He talks to, talking to the Christians, the gathering of the believers. This is what has to happen. So he's speaking to us. Here's what we've got to do. Even though we have all these preferences and the old traditions and the old way things that are done, he gives us three things that we need to do, right? And it comes at the very end of our passage today. He says that you've got to stay away from idols. Don't idolize things. And, that's, and he's referencing, uh, because the Jews idolized their history, they were there, the, the, uh, the golden calf that was there, right? Their uh, steep in tradition, even circumcision, they've turned into an idol, even actions that are there. We cannot idolize things. Do not have these idols. Stay away from anything that has to do with idling. Um, the second one is to avoid fornication. Right? This is any sexual behavior outside of marriage. And he says this because, okay, well, these three random things that out of nowhere doesn't really make any sense. Well, the Gentiles at this time, they were, they were consumed by that, the immoral behavior. And it's like, okay, you guys have got to straighten up your lifestyle. Okay? I know it's Jesus plus nothing. But once you love Jesus, you're going to fix it. But this has got to happen right now. Okay? You've got to pull away from this fornication. And then he says the third thing. And this is weird, but it's important. Don't eat meat, essentially, that is dripping with blood. Who likes raw steak in here? You're not even human. I'm joking. Joking. I like some raw steak. Not raw, raw. Not dripping blood raw. But medium rare, okay? Some people like it. Throw it in the microwave for two seconds and give it to me, right? Straight off the bone type thing. I can't do that, right? But there was Jewish tradition way back when that this, it should be well done. Everything. Either you boil it and, or you cook it well done because no meat should be dripping blood of any kind. And that is tradition, okay? There's nowhere specifically or in Scripture that tells us that you have to do it exactly like that. This is just best health practices. And a lot of Jewish law comes from, okay, this is what you should do to keep yourself away from sickness and, and disease. So this is just the best practice, all right? And if you were to eat with a Jew, a Gentile, this is specifically the Gentiles, if you were to, to sit at a table with a Jew, um, and try to eat a rare steak, then they would be completely offended, and they, they would, I mean, they would, they would barge out and get up and leave, right? Stomp out of there, that you would do such a thing. Is that sinful? No. But that is what they, their tradition was, and that's what they thought was part of their law. So what, what James is saying, it has nothing to do with the type of steak you eat, okay? He's saying specifically that we've got a fellowship and we've got to learn to get along. And we've got to make compromises in order to work things out together. We've got to be able to disagree and love one another anyway. We can love each other. When things are going good, man, we love each other. Right? Families, work life, 
church, everything we do, we love each other. It's easy to love each other. But what really counts is when you have disagreements and sometimes extreme disagreements and to still live a lifestyle and act in ways that are loving and not to split a church or not to to have division in your family or not to quit your job and look for something else because you had a disagreement and you don't agree with things that are going on, we have to learn to fight the good fight in a healthy way. And it's okay to disagree. We're not going to be around people that are just like us. And that's the beauty of God's creation. We are all created differently. We have all different preferences and different, uh, different expectations and experiences in our life. And when we bring it together, there's going to be a lot of this. And that's good. It can be healthy. But we have to have the Christian stance in this. The the stance that is full is God's love. That we fellowship together. And we love each other in the great times and the tough times in all times. Because God's love should trump all of that. Right? I want to read uh, um, uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verse 19 to 24. And I'll share this little passage here because Paul goes more in depth of what I'm saying. Listen to what he says. Although I am free from all, I am not anyone's slave. I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. Look what Paul has done. I've made myself a slave to everyone. Step back from your own righteousness, right, in order to win more people okay to just deal with being wrong or them thinking you're wrong. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law. Though I myself am not not under the law, to win those under the law. I became like them. I, I, I lived life with them and didn't argue and fight. I lived with them. It's okay. Even though we don't agree, it's okay to disagree. We still love one another. To those who are without law, Like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. Look what he says. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I may be every possible means to save some. Now, I do this all because of the gospel so that I may share in the blessings. This is telling us Christians. That yes, we should stand up for the word of God. Yes, we should be proud and be strong in our stance because of God's love. But no, we are not designed as Christians, as people, to be ones that bring in our own preferences and turn it into hatred. There's no divisiveness in God's love. However, man, Satan wanted to dive right into the church right in this time. At the church in Corinth, or at Antioch here, Satan was taking this opportunity and he was smiling because this was about to blow up. If we've seen what happened up to this point, up to what James said, this was about to be a scene that the whole church blew up and this whole thing called Christianity was about to be destroyed. It was about to be destroyed unless love came in, unless love won out. There will be division. There will be disagreements. There will be times that we don't fully agree in our families. There will be times we don't fully agree in our workplace, in every context of our life that we have. There's going to be a lot of disagreements. 
But we've got to agree to love one another anyway. Our actions should be actions led by love. So this is the principles that we are seeing. He gave three core things that uh, he would write to the church and say that you should, it's, it, we should probably act this way in order for fellowship. Do you have to do these things in order to be saved? No, because it's Jesus plus nothing. But we've got to start acting like we love one another. We've got to take steps back from our own preferences, our own traditions, our own experiences, and say all that, that's all external. What's most important is the way I act, the love that flows through my heart, and the love that we have for one another. So today, we see so many different principles and applications that we can find, but one thing that we have to remember, that at the core of church, at the core of our life, at the core of who we are, we should be grounded in love. Not because we've earned it, but because it was given to us freely. Because that's what the gospel says. As Brock comes up, we're getting ready to worship together, and I want us to think about the, the humbling ourselves like we talked about at the very beginning when we talked about Lent and Jesus giving us the example of the Pharisee and the tax collector. This is the same concept. We can be so proud of who we are and who our history is and who our past is or everything we've experienced, everything we prefer, that it gets in the way of loving one another. And that's when it can become dangerous. So church, I'm going to challenge you that as we go through life this week, and you're going to face arguments, and I promise you, you're going to have opportunities to argue. And some of you love arguments more than others, and that's okay. But we've got to learn to let love win. You're not losing, but you're letting love win in those situations. We can be Christians that are grounded in love. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I will tell you that you can't love one another without being first embracing the love that Jesus has for you. Jesus has loved you unconditionally, and he's offered us grace through his death on the cross. That if you believe, like I said, it's Jesus plus nothing. You don't have to get your life right. Things don't have to be in the right place right now. Yeah, I'm just not ready. We'll never be ready. That's why God gave us Jesus. Because we would never be ready unless someone would come and make that happen for us. So Jesus came and he died and he, he took our sins upon himself. He died because of our sins. And now we can say, Jesus, you are my Lord, my Savior. So with all the past and all the baggage that we have, let it go. Today, let today be a day we draw closer to Christ. We take our righteousness out of the way, for that's a hurdle and a barrier that we have, and we let love win. We let his love win every single time. Let's stand. Let's worship together. Let's sing along with great songs.